Doug Lamarie is here to announce the death of the headlines. I know some of you guys will miss that. Will you, though? Will you? Maybe none of you will miss it. It was something we were doing as a project with uh, Google Audio. So there was like a second purpose to dropping it here in the, the podcast feed that um, it was sort of like an experiment, I think. And so that's over. And so we're not going to do the headlines anymore, but we are going to do this, I think. This is Doug, by the way. I'm going to do something I'm going to call on Tuesdays, like Buckeye Talk rant or something like that. Now, this first one isn't a rant, actually. Believe me, you know, there will be times when I have a rant. But it's going to be like one topic, something I have an opinion on that I want to talk about. And it'll just be a quick little thing to get you kind of through Tuesday, because that's still going to be, for now, the time when we don't have a podcast. So the thing I want to talk about today is the College Football Playoff Committee and why I think this committee in 2021 has a chance to be the best committee yet. Because it is a pretty new committee. You guys might know 13 members of the College Football Playoff Committee this year. Seven of them are new. They cycle through. I think they cycle through like four or five every year that you get a three-year term normally. And then you just slide off and they put somebody new in. But they also had some people leave. Some people drop out a year early. So there's more change than usual. So I think... The makeup of the committee is okay. I think the idea of the committee, the idea of people analyzing data as the best way to come up with the college football playoff teams is the right approach. Back in the day when we had pollsters just voting on their own, and then we had a separate computer component that counted for a third, the AP poll was a third, not the AP poll, that Harris poll was a third, and the coaches poll was a third, right? You guys remember that. Three parts to the old BCS. Coaches poll, Harris poll, the combined computer rankings of six different computers. Nothing was synthesized. It was all in separate silos. And you know how dumb I think poll voters are. So this is much better than that. So now the only place where I think this can be improved is the makeup of the people in the room. Who are they? Because I do think the fact that they get together, they talk, they analyze data. And they do analyze data as part of it. That is a primary component of this. It's not just what they think watching games. They have a lot of numbers, a lot of numbers that aren't even available to the public. That's really important. I think the committee makeup could be better because they still insist on having seven sitting athletic directors of the 13. So they have like the 51%, whatever it is, 57% of people who are employed in college football right now. They don't want to let that go. But my big thing is how can you possibly be as educated as you need to be about the best teams in college football when you're trying to run an athletic department? It just seems impossible to me. It's too much to ask. So I wish there were more people. Now, this is a hard thing to strike. I don't like only want retired people also, although I have a great actual suggestion for the committee next year that I'm going to talk about later. Not even joking. Someone you know. But I I think you need to hit a spot where it's not athletic directors. I, I think you need to get them out of there. They're too intimately involved in actually what's going on. So I don't love that more than half the people are athletic directors. The other six people that they have this year, I think are like really good. I think this is exactly what you're going for. I would like to have more, a couple data people in there, data driven journalists, and they would do it right They're They're employed right now covering college football, but it's not the same as being in charge of an athletic department. So I think some current journalists or just however you define it, people who view college football through that lens, I'd like to see at least two of them, two of the 13, be data-driven people who analyze football that way. Then 
some former players, former coaches, which is what they have now, right? They do have a component of that. And then I think a couple current media members. And I do think, and then I think you can find people again who are intimately involved in college football, but aren't in charge of learning athletic tournaments. Okay. So one of the things this is, reasons this is already better is the, the athletic directors they have on this year, their football teams stink. No offense to them. They don't stink. They're average, which means we're not going to have people going out of the room for the toughest decisions. When Gene Smith from Ohio State, when Joe Castiglione from Oklahoma, when Dan Radakovich from Clemson were on the committee, the fact that when the big decisions were made about who's getting in, you had ADs from some of the top programs in the country. Those are three of the, the Alabama ADs never been on to my knowledge. Those are three of the top four programs in the country. To have those ADs on the committee is ludicrous because they're, they have to be recused for the most important discussion. So this year, these are the people who are on the committee. Gary Barta from Iowa is the chairman again for the second straight year. Iowa's a fraud. Nobody cares about Iowa. Mitch Barnhart from Kentucky. He's new. Tom Berman from Wyoming. Nobody cares about Wyoming. Charlie Cobb from Georgia State. Boo Corrigan from NC State. A nice, like, 24th ranked team. Nobody cares. Rick George from Colorado and Gene Taylor from Kansas State. So those are your seven ADs. That is awesome. Iowa, Kentucky, Wyoming, Georgia State, North Carolina State, Colorado, and Kansas State. I love it. No big-time programs in there. No recusals, which has been an absolute problem with past stuff. Three people who are characterized as former players as their best qualification. And something that has happened in the past, our guy Joel Klatt has brought this up a couple times. There were times when there were a lot of Southern people on the committee. And there's already a natural lean to the SEC because the best players are there, right? I mean, come on. We all know the deal. But there was a Southern lean in a Southern view of college football. A lot of people with ties to the SEC in the South. That is not the case this year. Will Shields, former Nebraska player. Rod West, former Notre Dame player. John Urshel, former Penn State player. So your three former players, frankly, I might, I'm ready for people to say there's a Midwest bias to the committee. Because there actually might be. So I, I think they should do a better job trying to sprinkle people in from around the country. You should be able to be unbiased no matter where you went to college or what conference you played in. But there's usually an assumption in college football that the best way they tackle the best way to tackle bias is by spreading out the bias rather than encouraging people not to have it. It's like, oh, we got a guy from California and a guy from Texas and a guy from Florida and a guy from Ohio. And then the bias equals out. I, you should be able to be honest. But... The fact that it's Nebraska, Penn, uh, Penn State, and Notre Dame at least means it's not going to be a Southern bias. Then two former coaches, Joe Taylor, who is actually also a sitting AD. He's the AD at Virginia Union, but he is there as a former coach at Florida A&M, at Howard, at Hampton, longtime coach. That's his primary qualification. He's not there because he is a sitting AD. And then Tyrone Willingham, former Notre Dame, former Washington, former Stanford, been around and was a new addition this year because R.C. Slocum, former Texas A&M coach, dropped out. And then Paula Boyvin is the journalist representative. There is always one journalist on the committee. I believe this is her third year. I think she's only the second journalist on. That might be right. She's from Arizona. She's a good representative. And again, I'll get to the second who I think should be on there next. So I do think no recusals, no Southern bias, no ADs from teams that matter, I think is a really good start to this process. I like the three former players. I like the two former coaches. I think there's a shot for this committee to get it right. 
and we have to rely on them because this is the best way. I just wish, I don't know if they'll ever reevaluate and say, hey, well, what if we got different kinds of people? Because they don't want to let that go. They don't want the data nerds in there. But the data, you can't put one data nerd in. And I love the data nerds. I use nerds lovingly because that's what people would call them. You can't put one data nerd in there with Barry Alvarez and, you know, a bunch of former coaches and they'll just shout them down. But you have, if you had two in there and they could help present things and view things through that lens, I think there's a shot at this committee getting it right. It is absolutely the best way to do it. There's no way around that. And now here's what I want to see on it. I honestly, truly, in my heart, actually think that the best next person to represent college football journalists on this committee is Tim May. I'm not even joking. And I think he would do it. I'm going to ask him about it on Tuesday. He knows the game inside and out. He's not fully retired because clearly he's still working at Letterman Row, but he's at least partially retired, right? He's not going as hard as he used to at the Columbus Dispatch. He watches football all the time. He thinks he's a coach. He breaks down the X's and O's. He understands the history of the game. He understands what's important to good teams. He's a heck of a talker. He'd be great in the room. He'd stand up for his opinion. I think he could sway people with his smart opinion. And I'm not necessarily looking for people who can sway others, but I think I'm looking for people who can represent a smart opinion forcefully because I think that opinion would be a valuable one. So I'm going to talk to Tim. I should have talked to him about it before I did this rant. I think Tim would be a great representative on the committee. And I might even send a note to the uh, person in charge of the College Football Playoff Committee and recommend Tim as a guy who should be doing that next when they switch the journalists. So feel good about who the committee is this year. Feel good about it. That's my rant. That's not a rant because I'm not screaming. We'll take a quick break and come back on the other side with, I think I'll do this each week, something related to Ohio State or college football. And then one thing that's not related to college football that I'm also at least wondering about, if not ranting uh, ranting about next on the Buckeye Talk Rant. All right, Doug, back very quickly. I was in a college town recently, and the college town had two rug stores. And I don't know how rug stores make money. I don't understand the concept of like you walking down the street and window shopping and being like, hey, I need a rug for my house. This thing costs thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, but I'm just going to walk in and buy it. I can't believe rugs are not online only at this point. And in a college town... How can a college town support two rug shops? Of all the things, I mean, like two bagel shops, two coffee shops, two frozen yogurt shops, two bookstores, two, you know, places to buy gear from the university, two pharmacies, right? I don't know, two cookie places, but two rug stores. I can't fathom. I have, do people buy rugs? Is that a big thing that people buy? But once you buy a rug, don't you have it for 30 years? Are you turning over your rugs on a frequent enough basis to support the rent of a rug store? But especially to support the rent of two rug stores, shouldn't the rug stores combine? Because the rug stores are driving down prices on the rugs because you can say, I'm just going to go across the street to the other rug store. It seems like a terrible idea. If you own a rug store, and I'm being ignorant here, Help me. But it's something I, I could not believe of all the storefronts in all the world that you can put in a college town. I just, I don't, do college kids have money for rugs? I mean, I guess if you're in an apartment and it's a hardwood floor and you want to, 
have somewhere to put your shoes or something. You buy a rug. But I think college kids would just rather spend that money on beer, right? You're not going to spend it on rug. What's that? What are you? Oh, working a part-time job. What's for? Uh, I got to get some rug money. Is that what people are doing in college, getting the rug money? Man, work for that rug money, baby. All right. I'm not sure that worked. I remember the very first Buckeye talk. I like sketched out a rant about sweatpants because I wanted me and Bill and Ari to have something to talk about besides football. And I was like, what's the deal with sweatpants? And that was not good. So I hope here seven years later with the first Buckeye Talk rant, I'm not reverting to my failures of the past. Reverting to my failures of the past, Buckeye Talk. Thanks to you guys for listening. We'll try to do this every Tuesday to give you something to get you through until a big Wednesday pod. I'm Doug Lay. I was going to say, for Doug Lay Maurice, I'm Doug Lay Maurice. And that was the Buckeye Talk rant.